For over 5,000 years of documented history, people have been using the cannabis plant as medicine. From ancient Chinese medical journals to the modern-day dispensaries, cannabis and its many medical uses have found their way to every continent on Earth. Today, as the prohibition against this plant is slowly being lifted around the world and our technological capacity grows exponentially, we finally have the opportunity to discover what this plant is truly capable of. Please join me, Matthew Myro, as I speak with the remarkable innovators working at the cutting edge of these discoveries. This is the Edge of Cannabis Medicine. Hello, beautiful people. You are here because you're curious about cannabis medicine. Now, whether you are a cannabis connoisseur who just wants to know a little bit more how it might be able to help you internally, or maybe you just want to have some really great science and data that you can give to your family and friends, either way, I'm here for you. That's what this show is all about. I am bringing you week after week all of the latest cutting-edge information about cannabis medicine. Now, if you want to get a chance to learn a little bit more about who I am and why I started this show, I recommend going back to episode one, give it a listen, jump back here to episode three, where I am sharing with you this interview with Christina D'Arcangelo. Christina is a researcher in the field of cannabis medicine, and she is also a patient. So she has some very interesting perspectives to share with all of you. But most interesting for me was that she has created artificial intelligence to be able to help the doctors learn more about what their patients need to help educate patients. It is really cool technology. She dives deep into it. Hope you all enjoy. If you have any comments, I would love to hear them. I'm a big fan of discourse. If you agree with me, if you disagree with me, it's wonderful. Please share. I will be in touch with you. And until then, enjoy this conversation with Christina D'Arcangelo. Hello, beautiful people. I'm Matthew Myro. This is the Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast. And today's guest is Christina D'Arcangelo. D'Arcangelo. D'Arcangelo Puller. <laughs> Christina has over 20 years of experience in biotech and pharmaceutical industries. She is the CEO and founder of the clinical research organization Affinity Biopartners. She's the CEO board president of Affinity Patient Advocacy and the CEO and co-founder of AI Health Outcomes that recently launched the Cannabot, which we'll dig into a bunch further. In addition to running all these companies, Christina is a board member of the American Society of Cannabis Medicine. As well, she hosts her own YouTube show called Coming Out with Cannabis. She was selected to the top 100 registry of business leaders and professionals and was recognized as a woman of excellence by Strathmore's Who's Who Worldwide for her outstanding contributions and achievements in the field of clinical research, biotechnology, and pharmaceuticals. Welcome, Christina. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here today because you know what? Education is key, right? And if we're going to move things forward in this space, we need to ensure that education that's given to the patients and to the people out there is true and factual. It's pretty important. It's really important. <laughs> it's really important. And everybody needs to know from patients to physicians. And so you as a researcher, you're in that sweet spot where you get to teach everybody. Yeah. Well, I always say I'm not a doctor. I um, am just a clinical research person. And, you know, I happen to be an advocate 
as well for patients that I originally started traditionally in 15 when my dad had passed away from stage four liver, lung, and stomach cancers and got into this space, um, be, meaning medical cannabis and CBD, mm-hmm. because I was a keynote speaker for Relay for Life. And because I don't have a name that's like Jones or Smith, a uh, dispensary out in Oregon that I had no relationship with figured out about us on the nonprofit side, Googled my name, figured out that I was a clinical research person, found Affinity Biopartners, and started engaging us to turn basically their grow into a good manufacturing process, GMP. We talk like alphabet soup and clinical research. Of course. <laughs> all these acronyms. So I always try to slow it down because I talk so fast because, well, I'm from Philly, but too, because, you know, I've been in clinical research for so long. I started very young. Um, <laughs> but in all seriousness, we we took that engagement. And um, I'd been watching what was going on in the space. But four years ago, there wasn't so much, right? It was a lot of things going on in Israel, things going on in Australia, minor things going statewide. Um, but not to where, Yes, right. research-wise. Not to where we are today, which today... I see a clinical research study almost every morning when I start my day. Um, today, I saw something about ADHD, for example, that I shared um, that talked about CBD as well as THC impacting patients with ADHD in a very positive manner. Once again, it was one study. There's a lot of studies out there for this indication ADHD, but it's important for people to really look for the source, right? If you're going to look for research, look for um, there's a website called clintrials.gov.gov means it's federally regulated. It's, you know, tied to the FDA, so to speak, but at least the government. And you can go on there in the search browser and type in cannabis, medical cannabis, CBD studies, and you'll see all the studies that are registered at clintrials.gov. And you'll be surprised to see how many are in the United States at an academic level. And what I mean by that universities. And now I understand because of the Schedule 1 status that it's really hard to get FDA approval to conduct these studies. Are most of these doing that on their own as a university kind of basis, or are they actually getting the FDA approval for these? Yeah, I mean, I would have to know the case-by-case way that they're doing it, right? There's ways that you can do research with an institutional review board, otherwise known as an IRB. There are central IRBs, So that means it's a central organization that's registered to be able to allow research to review protocols, et cetera. And then there's university level IRBs. So an example for that would be University of Penn. I'm picking on Penn because Penn's in my backyard, right? And I know the guys in Penn and they're actually part of the chapter 20 program here in the state of Pennsylvania to conduct medical cannabis research. Um, Pennsylvania was very smart when they wrote their program because they did a carve out for research purposes only, and that's called Chapter 20 here. So in that manner, if you're in the state of Pennsylvania, you can fall under the Chapter 20 if you were one of the approved Chapter 20 researchers and do research. But for example, we just did research with CCC on the Pennsylvania program. We had published our white paper and we basically came up with a survey questionnaire that we ran through Cannabot where we asked patients you know, certain things like obviously demographics are important, nothing HIPAA related. I have no idea who these patients are. I know they came through Dr. Donner's network because he has 
upwards of 25,000 patients that they have seen within their clinics. Um, I know that, but we don't know who they are. And Dr. Donner, the a Pennsylvania physician who does have a large patient group. He Just has a huge that. patient, yeah. mm-hmm. huge patient group. I think he's probably upwards of 30,000 now because- 35,000 is the number yeah. that I heard. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're probably closer to it than I am, yeah. honestly. Um, but yes, uh, because we added anxiety as one of the qualifying conditions in the state of Pennsylvania, not we, the DOH, the Department of Health did. When I say we, I'm just talking about this, the good state of Pennsylvania. When I say that, I want people to understand I wasn't involved in that. You know, I don't want to misrepresent my ability Um, (laughs) or where, you know, I don't want to take credit for something I I didn't do. Um, But because anxiety was at it, we've seen a big bolus of patients that have been able to enter into the program, which is so important because now we're giving anxiety patients the ability to have access to medicine not pull them off of their original whatever they were taking um, as far as their traditional meds. I'm not saying that, but we're giving them access to something that may help them better than what they're taking traditionally. Again, you'll notice I don't make false claims. Um, The FDA knows who I am because of the fact that I work in research and I'm not being egotistical. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a fact. And there's a conference coming up that we are going to be at. I'm going to be a keynote speaker for And they specifically asked for me to introduce them and to moderate their session, which I was very, 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 very happy to have that request. And I'm honored, you know, because all these years I've been working on drugs that have gotten FDA approval, Remicade, all kinds of things, you know, in my career. So as far as your question, you have to be very smart about how you do it, right? So you can do research through an IRB. Um, you just have to be careful in how you design the study, which is one of our expertise. But, you know, I recommend that going forward, once you've done some of these observational studies, which are like, you know, putting your toe in the water, seeing if 30 patients have been safe and, you know, effective with whatever it is that you're testing, um, then it's time to really consider filing an investigational new drug with the FDA. The FDA is most concerned with repeatability. So in other words, when you're growing a plant and it's a plant-based medicine, can the batch that you produced two years ago be the same batch that you're producing two days, two years later, right? And that's where you get the good manufacturing um, process, GMP certification, right? You have to be certified, in my opinion, as a GMP provider of product because the FDA is going to easily give you a nod on that because at least the product is being GMP, right? Right. Certified. So if the the FDA did check to make sure the batches were the same and all your paperwork is in good order, that's why it's important to have certifications, true certifications. And, you know, I'd like to bring that up a little bit about that because I've been seeing a lot of conferences lately, and I'm sure you have too, where people can get certified for certain things like terpene certification, master grower certification, right, all right. kinds of things, right. right? And it's like a two-hour program for like say 550 bucks. These people pay, and then they think, "Oh, I'm now certified. I'm a terpene expert, or I'm a this or that expert," and and they've taken a two-hour class. Something just was on LinkedIn, and that's why this triggered in my mind to talk about this today, because I commented, and for me to comment, you know, I comment on LinkedIn stuff, 
But for me to comment, it's something that's, it, especially if it's not a post that I posted, it's gotten, you know, it's kind of sticking me, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I, I saw this post come up about this certification thing. I don't even know where, but there were like eight or nine or maybe 10 different certs you could get for $550. It's a two hour course, all this stuff. And you become certified and people are asking professional opinions from other we're really an expert because we've been in clinical research for years. I'm not making that up. (laughs) You know, like look at my CV, look where I've worked. I'm not, you know, I didn't, I'm not in Cambodia doing research. I mean, I have done international (laughs) research since I accepted industry, but you know where I'm coming from. So I did, I I did kind of weigh in on this and I said, look, this is the problem with the industry is if you're going to say you're a, you're an expert and you're getting a certification for two hours of a class, that does not make you an expert. You know, the things that I've learned over my career took years, <laughs> you know, to write a protocol. That just didn't happen overnight. I mean, it didn't come down from a fairy. I had to learn. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And it takes time. So that's why I'm Absolutely. on this band. Yeah. So about the research. So I wanted to come back to something you were mentioning before. So I was a cultivator for 15 years and I know through testing that things change. We're working with living, breathing beings and Mm -hmm. they have their own agenda sometimes. And THC levels and CBD levels, they rise and fall even amongst the same phenotype. Right. And, and with the GM, with the FDA, how are we supposed to keep bringing the same level of quality over and over and over again when it does find itself subject to so much variance? Well, you know, you know, I'm not speaking for the FDA. I'm just speaking in my own opinion. Of course. Um, But, you know, they would prefer us to develop synthetic-based products, right? Right. Um, So that it can be tried and true, measured every time, just like pills, right? Like think about Tylenol, not to get in that that whole thing because they've had lawsuits but you know what i'm saying like when you get your bottle of tylenol you should always get the same bottle of you know the same tylenol that's in that bottle time and time again and so that's really what it comes down to is being able to mass produce time and time again that the lot always matches it's always the same um you know in this industry i think this is going to be a challenge for us right to be able to make the i mean how do you ensure that the plant's always going to be the same because you're right i mean holy cow you can't i can grow, i can grow a tomato plant multiple tomato plants in the same condition i'm picking on tomatoes because i'm italian so it's easy for me to talk about tomatoes i was never a grower so i can't talk about the other kind of growing i can only talk about the tomatoes and <laughs> the tomatoes you know they're all in the same you know area and they're little pots and one plant can be you know can grow differently than the other plant. They taste differently, right? But it's the same plants that I'm putting in the pot. You know, no pun intended. Yeah. And I mean, I've heard some really interesting stories some from old friends of mine that they'll test a whole bunch of batches with their friend's testing company, figure out that, oh, from this corner of the, the lot, there was this percentage of THC and this percentage over here, and especially with the hemp bill and CBD, mm-hmm. find that over here is like, oh, this was 0.05, THC, but over here is 0.2% THC. So they take that and then send that to the state regulated testers and have that be what's tested. And so they're still able to put out their product yes. at a technically illegal level. And it, these are well, things we'll have to work through. 
we had a patient, believe it or not, that came up with this problem, honest to God. Um, it, I think I may have mentioned it when we were at the ASCM meeting um, that we, we, you know, at, for affinity patient advocacy, we advocate for patients. It's not only just healthcare issues, but this would be a federal HEP issue if a patient gets fired when they're in normal levels, right? 0.03% or below. Well, what happened was we had a patient come to us that worked for a local borough and he popped for THC because he had a random drug test because he was a truck driver for the borough. So automatic. And he had a CDL license. So it's automatic. Right. And he popped and they fired him. Mm -hmm. And and he was within the legal limits. He wasn't he wasn't higher than he should have been, so to speak. But what happened was the 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 company that was making the, the product did not put on the bottle. So this is a little different, but did not put on the bottle that it had contained 0.03% THC, which is a legal requirement, right? Right. They just didn't bother. So here this patient goes and takes this, not realizing, even though he was within legal limits under the federal bill, that it had THC. He lost his job. He has, um, he's a single dad and he has an autistic kid. So here this guy loses his job. He'd worked for the borough for, I don't know, 35 years. You know, he's a union guy. And I helped the union be able to fight this because of the union background that I have just because of my dad being a union guy, but then because of our relationship with the Teamsters. Um, we understand implicitly how this impacts workers. Um, we were able to successfully get his job back. Wow which was huge. And we got back pay and all that stuff. And because he's union, you know how the contracts work. So we were able to get everything and he was able to be whole again, wow, you know, amazing. But he got sick in the process, right? Because he lost his job. He didn't have income. They fought the unemployment. He had an autistic kid. He obviously was a sick patient to begin with because why was he taking CBD was because, you know, and I had told him initially to get his medical card because he fell under one of the qualifying conditions and he was afraid to get his medical card. And then here he goes in the borough where he works to buy the CBD thinking he was giving back to his community, buying from the borough and he got in trouble. Wow. Yeah. So let's take a slight tangent, but I'd like to hear a story about another fight that you might be working on it's oh, coming up yeah. about, with your, with your son. Yes. So my, uh, my son has been recently diagnosed with uh, ADHD and some other things. And we have found that CBD works for him. Um, however, what we've been finding is that in the middle of the day, the CBD tritrates downward and his behavior is adversely affected. And so what I mean by that to the common people, and I'm not trying to be rude, it's just that I talk very clinically a lot of times, adversely. Who, who, what the hell does that mean? So what I'm trying to say <laughs> English, is, please, Christina. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm trying to say is he um, would misbehave in school. And so I get a daily report. And then the afternoon, it's like the smiley face reporting. So smiley face means you're good. Mm, this kind of face means you're like yellow light if you're going to go through a traffic light. And then a frowny is obviously a red light. It means you've been naughty. So he keeps getting a lot of these mm faces, which means he's in yellow, you know, yellow light here, right? And he's not doing as well as he could be. So he met with his physician um, in um, Pittsburgh, he, Dr. Donner's his physician. 
And Dr. Donner works with a lot of our our patients and he's my physician because I have two autoimmunes and I sit with the Pennsylvania program. Thankfully I have a card and he helps me. So I took Krish and he met with him and said, yeah, you know what? I think he needs to be dosed in the middle of the day. I agree. So he writes a very nice letter, gives a prescription, fills up the school form and the bottle of TH. I'm sorry. I keep talking to THC. I don't know why. The bottle of CBD is hemp-based, and on the bottle it says no THC. There's no THC in this bottle. So it's not even, I mean, it's well below hemp, right? Right, so it's isolated, not even full spectrum. It's just an isolate, yeah. Right, and so that means to the people out there watching us today, it means he has no THC that he's taking in his body. It's just completely a hemp-based CBD product. So I get a call um, from the head of the head of, um, and I'm, I'm laughing because I don't even understand why this person called the head of special education, because my son now has an IEP he's considered disabled, right? Because of ADHD. And so she calls and tells me that they cannot dose him with his tincture, even with the very, very, very direct dosing instructions, along with my tutorial, because I went in and showed them myself, um, because it violates the federal bill. I said, oh, excuse me, what, what federal bill? Well, it's a schedule one. I said, no, it's not a schedule one. If you look on the bottle, you'll see that it has zero THC, which means it's a hemp derivative, which means it's now under the farm bill, which is federally approved. Trump signed off on this. So I don't understand how this is a problem. He needs to be dosed. And especially since he's considered special education, he's, you know, has a, a debilitating issue he needs to get his medicine. And you're telling me you're not going to give his medicine to him. So then she backpedals and tells me he has a homeopathic product. I'm like, well, I don't understand. Homeopathic products aren't schedule ones. You know, <laughs> this is, doesn't even make sense. So if my, if my doctor wrote a uh, prescription for probiotics, because Christian gets tummy aches and he does take probiotics, but in the morning, but say he needed to take them in the afternoon, would this be a problem too? because it's considered homeopathic because it's a probiotic. No, this doesn't even make sense. So um, we're, we're going to have to talk with the school district about this. You know, I'm, I'm going to have to, if this doesn't get resolved, I will escalate this because this means that to me, in my opinion, there are probably other children that are impacted as well that I don't know about. It didn't contact APA because they don't know about us probably. Um, so this is going to be a good way for us to one, educate the school district to educate their attorneys, because of course they threw the attorney into it. And I said, have the attorney call me. I'm happy to talk to the attorney all day, every day, because right. I know that you have an, you have an advocacy group that you are the CEO of. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yes. this isn't a pretend thing. Yeah. This isn't like, you know, I'm working with crayons here, folks. Like this is legitimate. This is a legitimate company. And we just did the Pennsylvania um, white paper on the program, you know, and the Department of Health got a copy, the governor, the lieutenant governor, all these guys know about this white paper we did and all of the work, the affinities and Cannabot, you know, are working on to help the patients of Pennsylvania. When they hear about something like this, I'm sure they're going to be upset about it because they, and he's not even on a medical cannabis product. He's just trying to take hemp. It's ridiculous. And that means my kid didn't get his medicine today. So I'm sure when I get the report, which I will be screenshotting a picture of with my iPhone, because now I'm going to have to document this 
because he didn't get his third, you know, he didn't get his um, second installment of his CBD for the day. I'm sure he's going to have a lot of mm, faces. And then I'm sure I'll have like a, a note on there about whatever he's done wrong. And it's like, look, I, I, I'm giving you the medicine to make sure he's treated properly so that he does behave. He doesn't want to misbehave. My son does not want to be a bad boy. He wants to please people. He wants to be a good boy. He needs his medicine. Absolutely. Well, let's stick with I can only imagine. And I'm going to have you back on the show. Yeah. I'm going to do a whole month of specifically children's issues around pediatrics. cannabis and pediatrics. Yeah. Exactly. And so I'll get you back yeah. on and we'll find out how this thing went down. Cause we'll see. I'm curious. I'm, you know, it's a huge fight. You. It's a really huge fight. That's necessary. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I grew up, you know, with fighting, right. In the sense that I don't want people to think I was abused, but <laughs> my dad was a laborer, right. Yeah. He was a labor guy. He always fought for his people. Then he represented in the unions. He was president of the steel workers union before he became a teamster for a local steel company. And then he became a teamster for the Pennsylvania Turnpike Commission. He worked for those guys. So my whole childhood, my dad would butt up against people who needed to listen and respect laborers' rights. So in this sense, you know, in this sense of the world, I'm trying to protect patients' rights because I'm a patient. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of patients that I work with every day and those that I talk to every day. Um, and my son is a patient and his rights deserve to be protected. That's it. Bottom line. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, so you mentioned Cannabot a couple of times now and I'm yeah. so curious. Please dive into this Cannabot. What's it doing? Okay. How does it work? Who's it going to help? Who can use oh, okay. it? Everything, please. I love, I so, so the Cannabot, it's so cute. Like the the design of the, the bot, I know you've seen it. I was, a little, playing, I was checking it out. Yeah. <laughs> so cute. It's so cute. And, and it makes me happy because we designed the bot, the logo itself. We have um, two platforms on the AI um, platform. We have the doctor bot, which is the traditional bot. And then we have the Cannabot, which is for cannabis, you know, obviously CBD and medical cannabis. And AI, but the bot, talking, it's artificial intelligence is what we're It's thinking. all artificial intelligence. But we have two bots that come out based on the need of, of the clients or the patients. Um, and both of, of the bots are actually um, have been accepted by Amazon. So it's a skill. So you basically download the skill and you're able to use it voice activated. Um, we initially built the bot because we had a need for a cardiovascular bot for outpatients. So once the patients are discharged, they, the um, group of physicians wanted to be able to follow their patients. They came to my partner, who's the CTO, and said, hey, I need some help with these cardiovascular patients. What can we do? And he said, oh, we could do a, a cardiovascular bot. So that's kind of how it all started in its very infancy stages. And as we were working on the cardio bot, light bulbs went off because I'm thinking, oh, well, the cannabis industry really needs help, right? The patients especially to get the right type of information because you and I both know there's lots of stuff out there and especially patients that are naive not to be putting them down from a mindset. I'm saying naive to taking cannabis or, or CBD because when we do clinical research, we always look for naive patients for indications, right? What we're trying to study. So that's why I'm calling them naive. I don't want anybody to think I'm being mean so or, or at, rude. At most in a state of California, you might have 25 years of experience as a patient. 
And that's the longest right. you could possibly have. So most everyone in the country is naive in your Right. Yeah. And like, look at all the states that are getting approvals. I mean, look what happened in Kentucky with their legislation last week. You see, you know, more and more states coming up left and right, people talking about recreational, all kinds of things. So I had thought, well, you know what? Let's do something for cannabis. So we originally built the cannabis based on education, right? That it would be an educational tool. The people that would subscribe from a, a client standpoint that would pay for the bot would be physicians, dispensaries, growers, maybe CBD companies, biotech companies, all the different professional organizations. The patients get it for free. The patients already pay enough because we, all of us have to pay out of pocket for our medicine, right? Unless we're taking that was approved by the FDA, which we all know there aren't any drugs that have been approved. Um, so health insurance will not pay for it at the moment that we're in today, right? So that was something that was very important to us. But then as we were working with the Cannabot, which by the way is all voice activated, Alexa and Google, but we can also put it into Skype for patients that don't have a voice activated device because not everybody does. And also XUS, we know that patients may not have this access. So we built it so that it could work in Skype. Cannabot could be an app. Cannabot can sit on your website. Cannabot, we can run um, URLs for our survey studies like we did in Pennsylvania where we put up a secure URL for that study. So patients got a link and they answered the information. So the reason why I'm saying all this is that when we built the technology, it was totally based on AI because machine learning is the wave of the future. But we understand that we have to be adaptable to our clients' needs. And so if a client wants a little Cannabot sitting on their website that's waving, hello, I am the Cannabot, we can turn it into a chatbot for them because we have that capability. But the amazing thing is it captures data, which is really important. So not only does it capture the data, obviously de-identified so we don't violate HIPAA, that's really important to mention. We're capturing data all the time from the patients because the Cannabot becomes their buddy right? That's the whole idea. And that's why he looks so cute with his little heart and his little stuff is because we want people to feel it's safe to talk to the Cannabot because the Cannabot will help them. It's available 24-7 to them. But the selfish thing was I also developed an electronic data capture arm to the Cannabot as well as an electronic patient reported outcomes. So from a clinical research standpoint, my traditional hat boop, came on and I was like, look, I've been outsourcing this for years, right? These services, why not build this under us so that my clients can use our electronic data capture from a biotech standpoint or a CBD company, as well as electronic patient reported outcomes. So that's why when we did the survey in Pennsylvania, it worked so nicely was because we already had everything built. You know, we've been working on a lot of stuff. I mean, we we put the first seat in ourselves, myself and the CTO. And so that's why the bot is fully functioning. We're obviously raising, raising for our second seed because there's a lot of things we want to be able to do with it. And so as it's collecting data, it keeps learning. Correct. And so and it's able to be able to reproduce that data for someone in a question form or an answer yes. form to their question. Answer form. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So when we pr program it, you understand completely we program it, we do the question, answer, question, answer, question, answer, right? So our developers get the question and the answer, and then they program it. 
So as the bot continues to interact with people, it will record things that it learns based on the interaction it has with the patient. So cool. (laughs) So cool. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And the cool thing is like, say you're a CBD company, right? And you have a product or a product and you're trying to ascertain data feedback on your products. Well, you can send a survey monkey out. Maybe somebody will respond. I don't know. The Canabot can be programmed for these questions that you might have for your patients. So say you want to know if the topical is helping derm issues that a patient might have. And what I mean by derm to everybody out there who's not walking in the clinical research space is eczema. That's a derm problem, right? Dermatological or, problem, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or rosacea, mm-hmm. you know, red face. That's another derm problem. Um, wrinkles, aesthetics. So say people are putting salve on their wrinkles. Well, how would you know if it's helping their wrinkles? You won't unless you have the bot. The bot can be programmed to turn on at 10 o'clock in the morning, 8 o'clock in the morning and say, hi, this is the Canabot. Are you ready to answer your questions? Yes or no. If you say no, the Canabot will be programmed to turn back on until you answer those questions. The cool thing is you're then able to get a whole bunch of product information you would never otherwise have gotten. And it'll help you with your product improvements, potentially development, but also you can write a white paper based on this, right? If you poll enough patients, you could come to us and say, hey, Christina, put your CRO hat on. I need you to write a white paper like what you and Dr. Donner did. And Dr. Donner and I will swat right in like Bounty the Quicker Picker Uppers and work on your paper and get it done. And then you could put that white paper on your website. It's not false claims because it was questions that you ask patients and you're recording on their answers. It's completely legit. So, okay. This is all really, really cool. It's got my brain going like crazy. So for physicians, one of the major issues that a lot of physicians have is that they're not allowed to make any false claims. They can't, they can basically make no claims whatsoever as long as if they want to keep their their license. license. And so they can't say much of anything besides, oh, I recommend cannabis. And that's the end of it. Would How open are physicians to using the Cannabot? And are there, what are the laws? Okay, there's two questions. How open are the physicians to using the Cannabot in order to be able to dispel this kind of information? so that maybe they're not culpable? And two, are there any tech laws around physicians having a bot like this where they can say, it's not me, it's the Canabot who's giving this information? Right. So our bot is programmed with a lot of data, right? Because we have subject matter experts that we pulled in to build out the back end of the bot, right? So a lot of it's research-based. So remember when we talked earlier about clintrials.gov and that's a great place for people to find trials? Well, we got a lot of those studies in there, right? So if somebody says, oh, I keep getting migraines, Canabot, do you understand anything about migraines? We'll come spit back research that has already been programmed in there regarding migraines. We make a disclaimer in the beginning that we're not medical doctors. We're not giving you advice that, or medical advice. We're just answering your questions. We're an educational tool, Mm -hmm. basically. I have found as we've been interacting with physicians that they like the Canabot because there's stuff in there that they don't necessarily know about. And there's a large pharmacy group on the West Coast that's actually interested because they're going to start selling CBD. They're interested in the bot, putting the bot on their website so that patients can ask the bot questions about that CBD product and drug-drug interactions and all kinds of things before they even come into the pharmacy. 
but the pharmacist can also answer questions that they may have because remember it's voice controlled so you can keep the actual alexa on your you know wherever you're working right there and you'll say alexa connect me to blah blah i'm lowering my voice because she's always <laughs> she's always listening <laughs> and i don't know if you can hear her but she'll start she'll fire up the camera i don't want to like, take over the meeting or uh, interview with him because yeah. she will she'll turn her on or turn him on because he's a little guy um <laughs> but it sounds like a woman it's very confusing um <laughs> Because the bot doesn't have a skirt on, it has pants on, right? So, so yeah, I don't know. But anyway, we're all empowered right now. It's yeah, it's 2020. So, yeah. So it's just confusing because it's you know you know what I'm getting at. So anyway, the cool thing is it could be on their desk, their desktop when they're working. So like, say you roll up to CVS, right, and you're driving through the drive-through and you're picking something up, and the farm and you have a question for the pharmacist regarding some this. CBD that you, you know, that you just bought inside, but now you have to pick up a prescription you forgot. Now you're going through the drive-through the, cause that happens with some of these patients, they get brain fog and stuff. I get it. I mean, geez. Anyway, they could talk to the actual little cannabot right there where the, the pharmacist could talk. So there's different versions of the bot that are released. And what I mean by that is if it's a professional bot, it comes in differently. So there's different data that's shared, right? than a patient because the patient is not going to want all this technical technical stuff you know what i mean the derivative of blah 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 nobody's going to understand that and we have to disseminate the information at an eighth grade level to patients right so we can't use the arc language like i talk every day it has to be written just like you do research at an eighth grade level so that's what i mean about how the bot talks differently to different and it's all subscription based so the pharmacist would have a much higher level subscription with that type of data in there that they will need versus what the patient will need and the pharmacist will still have what the patient data is right that it's already been pumped in but they have like a bump up with the technical stuff that the patient doesn't need to ask or would ask so okay so as it's learning right so it has all the the clinical research that you've already inputted and that it's it's base and that it will keep getting from pharmacists and physicians but it sounds like it's also getting the anecdotal things from patients will it have the capacity to discern between the anecdotal stuff and the clinically researched stuff yeah so so that's a good question so the reason why it'll know is that when we're doing research we release a, a research bot so say when we did dr donner and, and and us did that research study we released a research bot right that was separate from the ccc cannabot what's the ccc the Compassion Certification Centers, that's the, their practice, CCC. So CCC has a cannabot, but when we do research, we obviously put the walls up for research only for the bot and we release the bot for the research. But the client, so CCC will see the data from their patients. They'll see the data from the research study. They'll see whatever, you know, however many bots they have set up based on what they need. They can see the data for all this stuff and it's all their data, but it's culminated by the bot. Yeah. So that way, you know, what's the research versus the antidotal uh, patient bot. It's different. And you're, you're right. There has to be a separation. So that's why we did that with the different bots. 
And so this, this is amazing. And I, I can see it as being such a powerful tool, especially for physicians, because they're put in this precarious situation where they can't right. actually say that much about the medicine no. that they're recommending. And no. it would... I, would it be educational enough for them to, to be able to recommend that their patient goes to a cannabis? Can they have it on their own physician website? Or how, how does yes. that work out? Yes, that's a great question. So we're, we'll meet the physician in any manner that they want. We're very, as you can tell, we're very compromising. But if we can't do something, clearly we'll say, oh, no, we can't do that. The cannabot's not going to fly paper airplanes. The cannabot's not going to show up at a meeting, okay, because we don't have a hologram programmed yet so that we actually have a cannabis hologram. So right now it's a tool, right? It's are you working on that, by the way? Are you working yeah, we, on the hologram? We are. Cool. We are. Very cool. Hopefully when we get that second seed, that's we're going to take some of that money and put it to the hologram because then we can bring the bot to events that we're having because the bot can show up. What happens right now, as you know, is that we will show the Alexa and turn the Alexa on for the for the event people or we'll pre-record a video through my tech team in India um, because I always like to make sure that people see the fact that it's a brick and mortar. These guys aren't offshore in India. I'm not trying to get cheap labor because I'm in the United States. That's not that it at all. The CTO is my 50-50 partner. You know, we're 50-50 partners. So they are just like me in the United States. You know what I'm saying? Like I have sensitivity to that because I've done outsourcing my entire career and their sensitivities around that. Um, so we are definitely working on the, the hologram thing, but as far as um, the bot itself, when we, it doesn't ever show up, right? So it would just literally sit on your desk on the Alexa, but we can put it on the physician website and then he, the bot turns into a chat bot, right? Because if you're accessing it, through the physician website, there's no voice activation through there. I can't, my guys haven't figured that out yet. So <laughs> it has to be chatbot. Um, but we could release it through Skype. So also for the patient. So what could happen is the patient could have access through the website where they have a chat box. They can also, if the physician gives us their email address, which is what they normally do, then we can release the bot to them through Skype. So you know what happens with Skype, you get an invitation to connect with so-and-so, you click yes, and there, there's the Cannabot, the Cannabot's sitting there. Again, that's a chat bot though, right? It won't be voice activated with Skype. There's, I can't, we can't do that. But that's what I mean by there's multiple ways to be able to run the bot. It depends how you, how you choose to do it, what makes sense to you. Um, but Niraj, that's my CTO, he always says to me, Christina, Give me, give me the request and we'll see if we can do it. And if we can't, we'll let you know. If we can, we will. And that's, you know, the amazing thing that we've been able to do in a very short time with the bot, where the bot is kind of doing all kinds of things that we never thought we would do. This is so cool. Okay, so let me just try to play out a scenario. Okay, so okay. I'm a new patient. Mm -hmm. I go to see my doctor. I've got, uh, I've got anxiety. I live in Pennsylvania. I have anxiety. Doctor says, have you tried all these other medications? I say, I have, nothing seems to work. Well, then I recommend that you try cannabis. Cool. I've only heard horrible things about cannabis my whole life right. because I came up in the D.A.R.E. programs. And, <laughs> and what am I supposed to do? I don't know anything about it. Is it really medicine? Can, and he can say, okay, do you have an Alexa or a Google voice activated device? He said, mm -hmm. yeah, like, cool. Well, let me recommend that you download this Cannabot. 
and, Cannabot. Yep. And, and say, okay, then you can ask this Cannabot any question you might have about cannabis as you start to engage with this new medicine. Is that right? Fair? That's correct. Okay. That's fair. And if, and, and then here's something that's important to recognize because I get this, the investors ask us this all the time. What happens if the patient asks a question that's not anticipated? In other words, we didn't anticipate some question and they ask. What happens is if the patient asks them the first time, we'll respond back saying we have to look into it, right? Well, we give them a canned answer. If they ask again, obviously there's, they're in a desperate need to get this information. What happens then is there's a tier two escalation. So that will kick back to us, to our help desk saying this email address, again, we don't know who these people are and their email address has to be de-identified. It can't be, you know, your name at whatever. It has to be whatever your email is. Cause I, I can't know who you are. Um, Cause we have to protect your patient rights. So anyway, it kicks in to second tier support. So it goes to the help desk and it goes to the subscriber. So the subscriber in this case would be the physician's office and the physician's office and my help desk are now told that this patient has a problem, that we're not answering their questions. So now the actual nurse at the physician's office or whoever it is on the receiving end, like CCC has patient intake coordinators, right? That work with the patients, get their paperwork processed. So one of those guys in like a CCC's like way of life would be contacted via email from Cannabot Help Desk mm -hmm. saying, hey, we have a problem with this email address. Please contact them and help them. This also goes to adverse events. Can you, so for, explain, can you explain that for yep. me? I was just going to, I was just going <laughs> to, you read my mind. So for everybody out there, that's normal patients, I, they, they would know what an AE is. I, I, I didn't know what this was until I got into research. So here's an example. And this has happened to me personally. So that's why I'm, I'm bringing this up. I take a CBD product that I get through the program. And I'm saying that because I have a card. So I get, I get whatever CBD product. This has happened twice. And I've gotten massive, massive headaches in the back of my head after I've consumed the product. Most patients don't understand because they wouldn't, but that's an adverse event. That means that you are having this chronic bad headache pain in the back of your head that you never had before. I do not, I do get headaches. I have fibro. I do get headaches with the fibromyalgia, but it's usually here, right? It's never in the back of my head. So I knew that something was weird and I could go back to, okay, it wasn't something I ate. I'm not having an allergic reaction because I'm eating what I normally eat. I then ruled the fact that I tried a new product and that's what gave me the massive headache. I stopped taking it, didn't take it the next day, went back to my old product and I was fine. So that's an adverse event. So as, as a physician, they don't know if patients are having adverse events unless they call them, pardon me, on the phone. And will the patient know to call them on the phone? Probably not. But if the Cannabot says in the beginning, by the way, if you feel like after you've taken something that you've been prescribed, i.e. through the program or whatever, and you feel like you have some kind of side effect, please let me know, then the then we will capture the adverse event and spin back to whoever the subscriber is again saying, hey, 
this email address keeps getting headaches taking this product. You need to contact them. From a research standpoint, this is amazing because a lot of times patients are, are told when they're consented to be in a clinical trial that there may be adverse events that could occur, headaches, heart palpitations, like you give them a whole gamut of things that could happen. Just like on TV, when you see, if you take blah, 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 yeah. you may, it may result Compulsive in- Compulsive gambling, yeah, yeah. Exactly, <laughs> right. you know, lack of sleep, dry mouth, blah, 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 right? Those are all side effects. Well, how they captured the side effects is from the clinical research. So we designed the trials to collect this data. Sometimes patients, even in a trial, will forget to tell their doctors because they have certain visits they have to go to. They don't go to the doctor every day when they're in a study, mostly. They're never designed that way unless it's a chronic condition and it's different if they're in a hospital or whatever. But say it's a hair replacement study where it's hair regrowth, right? Because they have hair issues where they, they have alopecia, right? And their hair right in here is missing and they're in a study. Well, they only go to the, the clinic once a month right? To see the clinic to get their meds again and have pictures taken and they're on their way. Well, those 30 days that they're in that study or however many days before they go again to their visit, they may forget to tell the person that, oh, you know what? I had an upset stomach or I got a headache or I saw my hair was falling out more or I had tooth pain or, or whatever it was. My face got swollen, whatever. They forget to tell. So the Cannabot captures all this from a trial standpoint, but also from a product standpoint on program. Specifically. So um, the continuation of adverse events is what leads to known side effects. Is that the yes. case then? Okay, cool. That's exactly right. And when, when you're, 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 you have a patient that's really sick, like a lot of these patients in the Pennsylvania program and many of these states, they're very, very sick. I mean, you've seen the qualifying conditions in many of these states. I mean, these are not like, oh, I, I you know, I, I have, I, I, whatever, right? They're, they're critical illnesses, right? So these patients sometimes are on a lot of different medications, right? And we know that they're drug-drug interactions, but there's not been enough studies, right, performed in these patient populations to capture the drug-drug interaction. So that means your traditional med with your CBD or your, your medical cannabis product could potentially cause you an issue. Well, this captures that information. Right now, there's nobody capturing this. Nobody knows. You'll hear me talk about drug-drug interactions. You'll hear me talk about when I design protocols, I look for drug-drug interactions. And I also, I, I don't include certain patients based on certain types of drugs they're taking. And I don't mean illegal drugs, I mean medicine, because I know it could potentially impact the study. Yeah. This is so cool. It's so cool. Thank I could you. ask you questions about this all day, but <laughs> I'm not going to because you know we got to move on. We got to move on. Um, is there anything else specifically that you wanted to mention about uh, no, Affinity Bio Partners I, or anything? Or? I, I, you know what? I think you know that the everybody that's watching understands that patients come first. I hope. I hope that that's what they understand. Is as I'm playing with rose quartz, I keep on my desk and like all these like you know, stones. I, I, you know, I love all this stuff. Um, it helps keep me sane. Was that a Himalayan um, salt crystal? <laughs> is that what that was? Yes. Cool. Yeah. Yes. This is, um, yes. And then I have a whole, like, well, anyway, I could talk about crystals. My, my, you know, that's, a, I love that stuff, but, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm covered in them right now from my mom actually. So, oh, yeah. oh, that's all you understand. <laughs> I completely you know, like, understand. I've even taught my son about them. Like when he was little, like I take him to a special stone store 
locally and I'm friends with the owners. And when I was pregnant with him, she was giving me certain stones and it's just, I love yeah. that stuff. That's um, what my mom would do too. She would have strands of adventurine or rose quartz yes. and depending if we were sick, we'd get wrapped up in adventurine and sent off to school. And, yes. Oh yeah. It's so good. Onyx yeah. for negativity blocking and all that stuff. Agate, yeah. you know. Um, so I, I just want pa- people to know that are watching this, that patients are really important to us. And a lot of what we do is for them. Um, every day, you know, we wake up and we never know what patient's going to come through affinity patient advocacy or what type of protocol we're going to be designing for these um, patients or what information we're getting through the Cannabot. All these companies were built to support patients. And that's important. And I know there's a lot of people out there that talk about patients and patients' rights and this and that about patients, and they try to capitalize off of it. We're not doing that. You know, the nonprofit works for free. We don't charge for it. We help patients. And I do a lot of that advocacy work myself, you know, because I want to make sure it's done the right way. Not saying the rest of my board can't. It's just that there's just, you know, such a high level of scrutiny um, out there right now in this space. I want to make sure that all the T's are crossed, all the I's are dot, and that we're doing everything we can possibly to help these patients. And that's just it, bottom line. I we want to help people. All right. So I got one more question for you. So I ask everybody, if there's one thing in the medical cannabis industry that you could see change, what would that be? <laughs> just one? <laughs> one thing. Just one thing. What's the top thing for you? Right. Oh my God. Get this off of schedule one so I can do my research properly, you know, without having to move product with a DEA license, <laughs> you know, so I don't have handcuffs. When I'm doing my research, let me just do my research like I normally have been doing for all the years that I've been in the in the business, and and you'll see how progressive things will be. That's a big one. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Christina. I really, you. really appreciate your time and information, and it's been spectacular. And we're gonna check in again about your son. I'm really curious oh, yes. about this. I will shoot you a message and keep you posted on this um, for sure. And I'd love to come back to talk about DIPG with pediatric populations and, you know, even down to ADHD. What about autism? All these areas of concern for pediatric patients. I think it's really important. I'm so proud of you for wanting to explore that because it's, it makes people nervous sometimes to talk about this stuff. So I'm glad you, you know, you're, pushing forward and doing that. This affects everybody. It's real medicine that affects everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I am incredibly grateful for folks like you. They're giving me the opportunity to share all this information about medical cannabis. It's critical information that more people need to know about. And thank you for being one of those important people spreading the good word. If you haven't had a chance yet, subscribe to the show so you can get every single episode week after week right to your box. And take a moment, if you will, to please go over to Stitcher or to Apple and give us a rating. Let us know what you think about the show. If you want any other guests on here, if there's something I can be doing better, please, please let me know. Until next time, my friends, stay strong, stay healthy, For now, you gotta stay put. This Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast is copyright EM2P2 Inc. 2020. All rights reserved. 
Podcast use and availability is governed by terms and disclaimers available at edgeofcannabismedicine.com forward slash terms. I'm your host, Matthew Myro, and thank you for listening.